Hey, welcome to the 208th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Kyle Hossman-Stokes and Eric Hess. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Jesse Conweiler on the podcast, and we are recording remotely because we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we are uh, trying to not leave our houses at all. It's crazy, right? It is indeed crazy. Yes. I mean, this is is. the craziest thing that's ever happened in the lives of anyone that I know. And the whole world is sharing in it, too. Yeah. you know, Except for Florida, for some reason. Everyone there is at the beach today. You know, it's funny because it equally feels like totally insane bonkers. And then also just like I'm out of work. You know, like, like there's a lot of overlap between what I am doing currently and what I do when I'm unemployed, but like don't have a ton of meetings on any given day like I'm writing you know like I'm in sweatpants more than I should be I will you know do the dishes in the morning and all of that stuff and you know I'm trying to keep as much of my regular routine as possible but we're facetiming loved ones a hell of a lot more than normal yeah I'll literally just randomly call someone I haven't talked to for like three months (laughs) yeah I called friends from high school yesterday oh yeah 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 why not I, I had a friend that just had a baby like a couple weeks ago in Colorado. I was like, hey, oh, man. what's going on? Uh, I have call. a friend who had a baby today. Pretty oh, wild. Wow. In a yeah. hospital? Home mm-hmm. birth? Uh, in a hospital. In a hospital. Oh, wow. In LA? In Los Angeles. Yeah. Wow. Crazy town. I know. I know. Um, you know what else is interesting is that I, so we're recording on a Wednesday night. Normally we record about a week in advance. And we had done kind of a disclaimer at the top of our previous week's episode about how like things had changed very quickly between then and when we were posting and that like, you know, we would have spoken about things differently and our attitudes have shifted significantly since then. So I was listening to the episode that's going to go up tomorrow. And again, it's still totally different. Yeah. Like every week here. Every week, the shift is drastically different in a way that blew my mind. So, well, you know, this episode we're recording right now is only coming out in a week from now. So everything we say now is probably wrong. So we should guess what it's going to be like next week. I have a hunch that um, we are still stuck inside and that things are more consistent from when we're recording to when this episode goes live than they were last week. Yeah. That's well, my what hope. if it turns out I'm the only person immune to coronavirus in L.A.? Because I had it. And now I'm like, by this time next week, they're probably hiring me to go into the sure. you know, zombie town of coronavirus mm-hmm. yeah, hail Orin. to save people. Because yeah, I yeah. have this weird superpower that I cannot get coronavirus. Right, right. Or, or you're like a, um, a black market water runner because the grid has gone down and you're the only person who knows how to get, you know, Fiji water bottles to the few remaining producers, Produ- <laughs> producers yeah. of the world. Yeah. Um, there's uh do you do you remember that show Revolution? It was like a JJ Abrams show where the power went out. It's like an NBC show. No. Did I ever tell you though I had swine flu? Have I told you this story? No. H one N one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we you're were... so nice they numbered it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I had a good, good friend who had a layover in Mexico City and we if you remember correctly, it was like right around New Year's and we had this tradition. We had a giant glass boot that we filled with a six pack of beer. Well, you weren't allowed to put the boot down. So you would just drink from the big boot and then you'd pass it along to someone and a bunch of us got swine flu. And he didn't tell us from that, that it was from that. He didn't tell us, well, I, I assume it was, you know, everyone at this New Year's party basically. But he 
didn't tell us that it was swine flu. We just thought it was a very, very bad cold or flu. And my mom was like, you have swine flu. And I was like, shut up, mom. There's no way I have swine flu. It's fine. And then years later, our friend was like, do you guys remember when I gave you all swine flu? And we were like, what? And he was like, yeah, I didn't have the heart to tell anyone and just like watched as people's Facebook feeds were just filled with like, oh my God, I've never been so sick. This is crazy. But Wait, was it different than a regular flu? Yeah, swine flu is just a gnarly flu. Yeah. And, you know, I was like in my 20s, it was fine. We just wrote it out. And I was unemployed, so it wasn't a big deal. You're like, only eight beer bongs this morning. (laughs) Exactly. But there was a show on Netflix that was like a BBC pandemic show about a virus that basically wipes out everyone on Earth except for like a handful of people. I think it was called Survivors, but I watched that show while I was super sick. And I remember having fever dreams about it. But it was great. It ended too soon, actually. I don't think that they ever finished it. Yeah. Every zombie movie, though, is like pretty much this story, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that show was like a zombie movie, but without zombies. Yeah. Well, as of today, there are 2,500 new cases in the United States of COVID-19. And so my great hope is that when this episode comes out, I can go to the New York Times Coronavirus U.S. Cases Tracker, and that number will be much lower. Yeah. So... For those of you who are tuning into a podcast for a little bit of escapism and to maybe feel a little more normal, most of this interview with Jesse doesn't really cover the coronavirus at all. It's a little, we talk about it here and there, but for the most part, we're really digging in on her journey from being a filmmaker, like being a PA on these big sets, building connections, learning how to communicate with other filmmakers and, and recruit a team of collaborators that go on to help her make all sorts of different films. She had a web series that premiered at Sundance. It was the first web series to ever premiere at Sundance. She just had a short there in 2020. She's done a ton of stuff in between. Jessie's a real force of nature. She's like incredibly entertaining, fun to listen to. Honestly, like you can just sit back and let this one wash over you because there's so many great nuggets and you're going to leave this episode feeling so inspired and motivated that uh, and entertained that like you know there's there's too many things to pull out of this one yeah she's like go-getter 101 i think this uh, and very much embodies like the spirit of what you know just shooting it is all about everyone listening to this no matter where you are in your career will get some really great insight and inspiration so cool here is the interview let's do it Hey, we're here with Jesse Conweiler. Conweiler? You know, Con- whatever Wheeler? you guys want to call me is fine. You were actually That's right okay. the first time. You overthought it. Yeah, I'm just, I, there was just no, you didn't say, yep, you got it right. So I, just I know, because I'm sick of giving people, I'm sick of giving people a pat on the head for doing the bare minimum. Well, welcome to the show. I was just, <laughs> uh, I was just explaining to Oren um, how we know each other. So the, this is just like a classic, like LA story. Yeah, we have Con a wheeler and friend. dealer type of story. We have a f- mutual friend uh, that worked on a web series that I did years and years and years ago uh, called Squaresville. And she was like, oh, Jesse's really funny. You should meet and like talk about web series because I think at the time you were doing a web series. And we became Facebook friends and we never connected. And then you're very funny on social media. And so I feel like I see your posts consistently like much more than people that i know in real life you know like i think there's somehow like 
the algorithm is just like, oh, you like Jesse's stuff. So I've been aware of you for that entire <laughs> you're time. Like, you're very present on social media. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, and I, I, I have a hunch, and Jesse, you let me know. I feel like I have a much stronger sense of what's going on in your life than vice versa. Would you say that's accurate? I literally have no posts? idea who you are. I know that you're a huge fan of mine, so I love you. Perfect. That's great. Matt does have a penguin tattoo on his back. That's a great and really sick joke. After people uh, watch the movie, they'll get that joke. And um, no, I just I know you because this girl I used to do a lot of blow with in L.A., was like, oh, yeah, you should meet Matt. And then, yeah, we just never connected. But you're just like, no, like, don't take this the wrong way. I mean, in a good way. But you're like one of the, like, (laughs) cute, nerdy, white dudes that makes movies on the east side. Like, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I always joke, I look like a guy in line at UCB. I've never thought of you as that. Well, Um, thanks, Oren. But I love Squaresville. I love Squaresville. I'm a huge fan of that web series. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Before we talk to you, Jesse, I just want to acknowledge that there is a coronavirus pandemic going on in the world right now so people don't think we like recorded this months ago and are just airing it now this is like the perfect time to record a podcast remotely yeah what, what else i mean i've doing? never been more excited i have never been more excited to record a podcast and that's when you know you're bored it's like how many <laughs> i can't masturbate anymore i've gone to trader joe's my my one time per week so i might as well fucking be on a podcast wait yeah. is the masturbation limitation Due to the fact that your partner is always there, um, he's not always there. We t- we're taking breaks, but I do feel like you know I'm a I'm a masturbator through and through. So partner or nope, I'm not somebody that's like oh I have a boyfriend now like I don't need to masturbate. I it's like it's like having a child like I'm not going to abandon that side of me. Right, and a quick unrelated note, mom. This might not be an episode you should listen to. No, 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 no. We're gonna fucking talk about you know. Oneers and shit. Let's we'll do filmmaking. <laughs> Wait, is that slang I don't get? Are we still we'll talking do, about masturbating? We'll do depth of we'll do depth of field. Oh, there we go. There we go. Um, so Jesse, <laughs> um, when we're not in quarantine, uh, I feel like you're at Sundance every single time I look at social media. So you've got a short that played at uh, Sundance 2020, but you also had a, a series that played in 2017, 2016. Remind me. Yeah, give us the skinny on that. Well, I had an eating disorder for 10 years and then um, being the Jew that I am was like, how do I make money on this? And I made a web series called The Skinny and uh, it was an amazing experience to make it and I won't get into the whole spiel right now, but we were the first web series to premiere at Sundance and so... And that was 2019? 2016. Oh, 2016. 2020, 20, uh, 20, 2020. Yeah. Um, I had my short, he's the one that premiered there this year. And then, and your skinny, um, web series was produced by Jill Soloway, I saw. And how did, how did that come about? I just stalked Jill on Facebook like years ago. I was working at uh, bad robot, this production company. It's, oh, yeah. Um, JJ that guy, JJ something. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. Um, And I was working there and I was obsessed with Six Feet Under that Jill was on. This was kind of before like Jill became Jill. Mm -hmm. Before transparent. Yeah, pre-transparent. She was this badass writer. And I was just like working at this production company and making my own shorts on the side. And I just like fucking messaged her on Facebook. I was like, I love you. Can we please have lunch? Can I send you my movie? I'd love to get your notes. 
And I had done this to so many people and Jill was like, yeah, no, okay, send it to me. And like, then she watched it and then we went to lunch and, um, she's just kind of been there. or They've just kind of been there throughout the years, like consistently for me as like a mentor. And then they EP the skinny, but also just somebody who's like, you know, emotionally or creatively just been like, do this grant or here, or here's some advice or shut the fuck up, stop whining and make your movie. You know, like they've just kind of been this awesome presence, but it was all just me being like a creepy stalker on Facebook for sure. Right. What's so crazy is that Jill wrote this book called Tiny Ladies in Shiny Pants. Like I think. Oh yeah. You're old school fan for sure. Yeah. Before Six Feet Under, like right at the beginning of Six Feet Under. And one of the things that was that Jill wrote in the end of that, she had like an appendix or something. Some There was something there in the end of the book that was like, hey, by the way, if you live in Hollywood and you're trying to be a screenwriter, like, don't send me your screenplay. I'm not going to read it. Like, if you want me to, like, have coffee with you, why don't you come over and mow my lawn while I'm doing it? Like, that's literally, like, what you're asking. I'm so glad I didn't finish the book because I definitely started <laughs> it. Yeah. And I no. ta- I, that's so – and so you, like, were just, like, forever, like, don't ever look at Jill, Jill Soloway in the eye. Yeah. And actually, do you know Micah Fitzerman Blue? Yeah, I do. He's been on the podcast recently. But, Whatever. But. Michael, Mike is so successful. I want to like puke every time I see him. I'm like, can you just have one thing that goes wrong in your life? Like, yeah, like if it, well, something wrong happened today. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. He can take all of Oscars and, and shove them up his ass for all I care. No, Mike is awesome. Well, we all- He's another person that I was like, can you please fucking have I, – I don't know if I'm just hungry and broke, but I was like, can we please have lunch? And I remember we met at Edge, uh, Edge Cliff Edge. <laughs> so, so, so you're asking people out to lunch and not because you want inform- like to work with no, them. You're I just want, looking I for, w- free food. for free food. I want a tuna melt. Well, right. so and let, I was like, Micah. A little bit. I, and I was like, Micah, you're so good at life. You're so good at Hollywood. Like, what do you do? Like, what should I do? Really? I'm like, I was really like floundering at that point. I had done a couple shorts and stuff like that, but I was still at the thing where I was trying to make a living off of my art. Like the two weren't one thing yet. And he was like, he gave me the best advice. He was like, what do you really want to do? And I was like, I, I want to direct episodic and I want to write stuff and I want to be an indie director and I want to make documentaries. And I all I think my background is I, I have done all of that and I do do a million different things. And I'm not one of those people that's like, you have to pick one thing. But... As far as like making that transition, I think it was really helpful. It is really helpful to get really specific, Mm -hmm. like project to project. And Mike is like, what the fuck do you want to do? And I just like did not want to, I didn't want to admit the fact that like I wanted to do the Lena Dunham thing. It was like right at the beginning of Girls. And I just like, it was my ego. You know what I mean? I was like, he was like, what do you really want to do? I'm like, I want to write and direct something. He's like, do you also want to be in it? I'm like, well, I'm not an actress and I'm not. But I was like, but yes, because this thing's, it's about my eating disorder. And I, and he was like, so own it, own that you want to do, you want to make a show that's personal. That's your Louie, you know, that you write, direct and star in, like just own that. And, and everything changed for me when I like really specifically owned what I wanted in that project and the skinny changed my life. So, you know, Mike is all right, I guess. Let's, let's talk a little bit about just these these coffee meetings and these lunch meetings for a second because i think like it's easy for someone to hear like oh man like she like had lunch with micah fitzerman blue and jill soloway two for two crushing it right 
like, were you just blasting everyone? Like, how were you doing this research? How were you reaching out to people? Like, like, were you dropping the fact that you you work at Bad Robot when you're emailing these people, or like, what? Like, yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, so just, just, great question. Just the answer for me, it's like the work I I've always led, and I'm still I'm still like this. Like, it really is all about the work, and I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but like. I'm on my path, right? And I'm like at my day job, I'm whether I'm peeing on set or working at Bad Robot, I'm always making my shorts on the side. I worked on Couples Retreat and I'm a PA on Couples Retreat and I'm shooting, I'm using the stand-ins or I had worked on the Green Hornet before that and I used Cameron Diaz, Cameron Diaz as a stand-in as an actress in my film. I use the assistant art director as the production designer. So I'm like, it's not, I'm, I'm pulling people like that are are genius and they're so good at what they do, but they're not creatively fulfilled and they want a credit bump. Hey, I'm a PA, like come work on my thing. I'm a director, like kind of maybe doing the like, I'm a fun, I'm the fun PA shtick, which I was, but I'm also really fucking serious about making movies and incredibly disciplined. So, but I'm just doing it under the guise of like, let's have fun, which is true. And then I'm making the shorts and then like I'm on set and I'm like taking Jason Bateman a set and I'm like, hey, will you watch my short? So it's not like, hey, Jason Bateman, can we like, can I talk to you and get advice? It's like, you don't really need advice. Everybody says the same shit. You, I, I've had situations where I've like low key pretended to need advice, even though I have like, so that then I could get into like the creative conversation of like, like I pretending to need advice in terms of like, how do I make it in Hollywood? Cause because, because nobody knows because everybody's path is different. But the one thing that's always been consistent is like, make your own shit, make your own work, make right. your movie so you can make your next movie. And so I feel like I came across Jill because I was working at bad robot and an exec there was like, Oh, like you should read this person. And then I was like, Oh, the, her writing's amazing. Oh, she's on six feet under like, Oh, there's her book. Like, she's so cool. Like, yeah, then I'll take her to lunch. But it wasn't like, and by the way, like the meeting with Jill, the meeting with Micah, like meeting with Michelle, like working for Michelle Gondry and like all of the, like all of these people, none of that actually really mattered. Like none of that's, none of that is what actually gets you to make money. There's Wait, what's like the Michelle that- Gondry part real quick? Just the fanboy out for a second. I worked on Green Hornet and I was a PI in Green Hornet and I took the job because he was my hero and I would have. Did he direct that? Yeah, he did. Yeah, what? He did. No way. It was not a good. <laughs> it was not good for anybody. It was not good. Yeah, for anybody. I oh think Jesse, God, maybe I you have the best that. experience from from Green Hornet. I feel like. <laughs> but I got. But <laughs> I got like to watch you, him work. You emerged the least scathed. But I got to watch him work. Sure. Yeah. Oh, you're saying that it doesn't that all these people you met with, um, and got advice from, which was largely like the same, was it was not about they aren't the ones that hooked you up with your success. It was everything you did on your own. Yeah. And I think it's different if you're an actor. I think that's a different route. But being somebody that's like a writer and director, there's never, it's not like in the movies where like you have the one meeting that like make or breaks you. I've had like, but I've had like projects that have been turning points for me. And like Jill was definitely like a turning point. She's definitely like a pivotal relationship for me, but it wasn't like one meeting or one thing. It was like, years of sending her films that I made. Like I made 20 shorts before I made, before she came on as a producer for the skinny. And every time I would send her a short, it wasn't like, sorry, just to make sure you mean literally 20 shorts. Yes. Yeah. Good. Great. Literally. I mean, since I was eight from 18 to like 30. Yeah. At least that. 
Did you go to film school? And it's so funny. I didn't go to film school, but it's so funny because now I'm in now it's like nice to actually say that because now I'm in the process of like writing pilots and writing features and trying to get a feature made. And I can get a little bit like uppity and like snotty and like this feature's so fucking good. Why aren't I getting financing? And I'm like, how many features have you written? You know, like Okay, sure. you've written th- you've written four features. Like, okay, but like, there's people that have written like you have like there's some people whose stories are like I wrote thirty features and then the thirty first one got made. Right. Yeah, putting in the work. Right. Yeah, putting in the work. But I also feel like it's like, dude, I'm working on this project right now. I like two. It, it's a feature version of He's the One, and I was like, the short that was just at Sundance, and I was like, a year ago when I couldn't get financing, I was like oh my God, like this feature needs to be made. It just needs to be made. It is ready. I've been writing it for five years. It's so ready. It's so good. And then I couldn't get financing and then I made the short and now I'm in the process of turning it into a TV show. Hopefully we'll sell it. And I'm looking back at that script and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I am so grateful we didn't make this version of it because I'm such a better writer now. The story's so much clearer. So it's like, you don't, you, I can't, I've learned, like, I can't really trust myself when I'm like, no, this is the timeline. This is the way that it's supposed to be. It's like, bitch, there is something so much greater than you, like, operating that's happening, like, the creative karma, whatever you want to call it. So when I get really frustrated or freaked out about, like, things not happening fast enough or in the right order or, like, I'm 35, I need to have X, Y, and Z in my career, like, I actually don't fucking know. But the only thing that I can take trust in and take solace in is is doing the work. And I think there's certain people like I'll have coffee with people and I feel like there's certain people. And I don't know if it's just because like I feel like I'm old now and like the Internet, it's I don't know what if it, it made the difference of people that have come up this way. But I feel like people are like, when is it happening and what is it happening? And I'm like, if you don't actually like doing the day-to-day, like if you don't really love like outlining, obviously you're not going to like writing every day, but if you don't enjoy like who are all the casting directors that I could get to work on this? What are all the, where are all the different locations? Let me spend like three weeks and just go look at different bowling alleys. Like if you don't like that shit, then you're going to be so miserable because all the money stuff, I mean, all the money stuff and even Sundance, like, Sundance is fucking awesome, but it's not the party. The party is like making your work. Yeah, no, that's all very well said. And we're yeah, done. motherfucker, it's not my first podcast. We're done with the show. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> no, Jesse, I, I think we're just letting you go because it's exactly, I think, in tune with the whole mission of of what we've been trying to communicate to people. And so um, I think so many things ring true for us and also like have we we've heard repeated over and over and over again um but the thing i love maybe the most actually is that thought of like asking for advice because i think that is a thing that people like they'll want to go to coffee and they'll ask for advice and you're right there isn't a ton that you can learn from those coffees besides just like i've been on both sides of it right so i i've asked to the coffee and i um and i now i'm getting asked to go to coffee and it's like if it's a woman, if it's like a woman and a person of color, honestly, I will I will meet with them and talk to them. Like I'm not going to necessarily stop for white dudes just to be honest, but I feel like it's it is always the same thing and I I've been tracking this one producer for 10 years. I'm like such a fangirl of her hers and I like got an intro and we finally met. It took like 9 months to get the meeting. And it was such a great meeting, but she like you know what she said to me? 
keep doing your thing and listening to your gut and keep making your work. And it was like a great pep talk, but it's like, yeah. And it was, it was so comforting because I was just like, oh, and like this person made um, Hustlers and fucking Booksmart. You know what I mean? Like she's like Was it doing Jessica Elbaum? It. it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Well, and I've been, I'm obsessed with her. She's amazing. But it was like, it was like a really good like, oh, like, yes, I am doing the right thing. And it was a good affirmation. But it's also just like, oh, yeah, like it's. It's about making the work. Right. right. The, the, no matter what, like those coffees are never going to be like, hey, Jesse, like it just so happens that we're looking for a director on this feature. Do you, Would you like to do it? You know, like n- maybe there's a possibility where like you're top of mind as a result of these relationships. But like the coffee is never going to be the thing. It's the coffee's not going to be the thing. You you have to do you have to do the generals though, like in a more formal way. The way that the the business works is you do you do those generals, you know. And it I have gotten jobs from the relationships that have been built in those generals, a hundred percent. But like, but it always comes off the back of a show that didn't go. So like, I wrote a show for ABC Digital and. ABC Digital folded and then my manager like sent it to CW and they were like, absolutely not. Like, you're crazy. But we have this book. Would you want to adapt this book? And it's like, it's you literally have to like create an entire show for them to be like, oh yeah, like you have a voice. Why don't you do this thing? And it, that's just like, so there's, I like to think of it as like no writing is ever lost. Yeah. And I think also, I think it's easy to hear that story of like oh i had a show at abc digital it didn't go we took it elsewhere they said no like there's a lot of no's in that chain oh my life is so no my life is all rejection right but but then also turning that into a success being open being willing to like adapt pivot and also like know that that being rejected is part of the whole situation you know like it's not you can't take it personally and just because someone rejects you you know, for one project doesn't mean that they won't think of you for something else. Totally. And I, listen, these are like our babies. We birth them. Like I, I do take it personally. Like I cry for a day or two. I grieve it. Like I, for me, that's really important to like feel bummed about it. And it's also equally important as important for me to feel like the high, like for me, no matter how many times I sit in front of a producer or an executive and they say, we love you. We love this. We can't wait. We're so excited. We're going to buy it. Da, 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 da. And then they ghost you, right? I, no matter how many times, like I will leave that meeting and I'm floating into the parking lot. Like I am floating down Pico. Like I am just like, I am living the dream and I'm so happy. And I like, and then I, and then when it doesn't go or it doesn't fall, it, it doesn't go through. Like I used to be like, oh my God, you're so fucking stupid. And why are you letting yourself get excited? I'm like, because I'm on this roller coaster ride. Like I'm going to give myself like the high of like going to get drinks with my friends and being like, oh, I had a great meeting and they really want to do this. And like, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm not going to give up my optimism for my work because I fucking think it's great, you know, and I want to keep the hope alive. And yes, also just, I guess the rejection just, I don't, I don't, I don't know, like I've dated and I've been single for so long too. Like I'm just good at like, okay, it's, if it's not you, it's like, it's something better. Yeah. I think that's, that's some really, really poignant and insightful and, and something I haven't actually really like thought about much before when I, I had this 
I made a movie that premiered at some film festivals and it was like we were winning some audience awards and it was really fun. And I was working for for Disney at the time, actually. And my boss was like, you know, we were ta- figuring out distribution and how are we going to make money on it and all this stuff. And my boss was like, dude, just like enjoy this time, like the premiere, like when all your friends are there, when people are there, when reporters, are, when it's being written up, like enjoy this, like don't worry, like worry about the distribution, of course, and worry about all that stuff. But don't like don't put all of your like happiness in like and what's going to happen with your movie like just take the time to enjoy it right now and i i've never thought about like i always thought that was this great you know piece of advice because like ultimately you know the movie played in a few theaters and we made some of our money back and like it wasn't a studio film so it didn't wasn't like a giant success or anything but but when it was coming out it was very 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 fun and um I've never thought of like a meeting like that because I mean, you know, Matt and I have been in that situation a million times where we're like, yeah, we're going to buy your show. We're just going to attach Fred Armisen to it. Okay, Fred Armisen's into it. He's just going to bring it to here. Okay, they're into it. Okay, you know, and then like nothing happens a year later, right? Um, And but you're saying like, it's okay to enjoy that stuff and celebrate that stuff. And even if it ends up not happening, like, like you need to be happy when good things are happening, even if they ultimately don't, aren't your big hits, because well, and, otherwise you're not, you'll never be happy. I mean, it begs the question: if you're not, if you don't let yourself be happy when you had a great meeting, and you don't let yourself be happy, you know, when you're at the premiere because you're worried about distribution, well, what, when are you going to be happy about it? I mean, listen, and it's also as writers, it's so funny because I'm I always joke with my friends like with my other writer friends, it's like, oh my God, I have to finish this. I have to finish this. Like, I, I'm like, I have to get this done. And it's like, why? What's going to happen when you get it done? You're just going to have the next thing. Like, just enjoy, like, you know, just, I think it's good to have deadlines, but like, this is when it veers into the, like, trying to use work to fulfill you spiritually and make you whole, which is a lesson that I learned the first time I was at Sundance and I'm so fucking grateful. I mean, I should just tell you the timeline of the skinny because it, yeah, it yeah. really Un- unpack it for us. I, I think that's because really I think people were like, Oh my God, like you're, Oh my God. Yes. It all happened. And I'm like, bitch, you have no idea. Okay. Right. Right. So yeah. 20- think about it. Uh, also just to set the stage, you said it's 2016. So like web series are like, you know, they're not super duper cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's like a it's a big. They're not the deal. cool, sexy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Content. There, there's no quibby. Right, right, right. But that's even like it's kind of kind of like you guys maybe think, high you, maintenance or something is around. Totally, around. totally. But that's about it. Do you guys think that the um, that coronavirus is and and quibby coming out at the same time? I mean, coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I do. Oh, I think do Jeff think Bezos about how. Did this? It's a dumb time to be in short form content, right? Like people have all the time in the world. <laughs> so yeah, right. People, no, people so only watch funny. TV for 180 seconds. Great. I'm going to kill 10 minutes. Oh my like, God, you guys. That's so funny. I'm, I'm ready for a season of television. Oh, that is so funny. I know. I was just thinking like, what slow fucking burn am I? I'm like, I'm finally going to watch The Wire. And me too. Me too. Okay. So this was like 20, this was probably 2014. I was like, start, just started working with my manager. What do you want to do? I want to do the bulimic Louie, you know, like that's the show that I want to make. Okay, great. I wrote a pilot. There was probably, it was probably a year of like writing the pilot, 
taking it to different producers, doing table reads, and just being like, I, I was struggling. I was kind of, tr- you know, that's why it's so important to write. But the pilot just was so crazy by the end. Like, it's like a dark comedy about bulimia. But by the end of the pilot, like, I was just like throwing up and in, in, into like a fireworks display. Like, it was just, it just got really big. And like, um, I just kind of lost the show, right? So my manager was like, cool, let's set it aside and work on something else. And I was just like, I just come from like, you just shoot it. Like, and I think there was a personal, like, there was probably, because I had just gotten into recovery from my eating disorder. And I think I wanted that catharsis because I know how helpful that creative, like I had done it before with breakups. And like, I just, just wanted to fucking shoot it. I was like, I just, I believe in the show and I feel like it, it can work right now. So I did a Kickstarter or at first I asked my parents for money um, to shoot like a pilot presentation. And they were like, no, we're remodeling the bathroom, which like, I, nice it sounds really spoiled. I, I, you know, I was just like, oh, come on. Like, I'm not getting married. I didn't join a sorority like my sister, you know, whatever. Did they pay for your bat mitzvah? Yeah, but I didn't even have a theme. Oh, yeah. The, the themeless bat mitzvahs are much less expensive. So I shot something. I kind of was like, let's see. I, so I shot. So I did a Kickstarter. And the coolest thing, this was kind of the Kickstarter heyday, like 2015. And the awesome thing about doing the Kickstarter is I was like, oh, I'll just get money from friends and family. But in order to do a Kickstarter, you have to, you have to basically tell the story of your project. Mm-hmm. Like what is the, na- like, you have to pitch every it, movie, basically. yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah, exactly. And every movie has a movie behind it. Like there's a movie of your movie, you know? And so what is, what's the story of the skinny? And it like became this three act structure of just like, I took, I've taken, you know, I had this eating disorder. I realized like I was bulimic for 10 years, but I was also this feminist. Like what the fuck is about that? I'm not a typical person that has an eating disorder. And what does that mean? And, but I also want, you know, funny, blah, blah, blah. And I took, I wrote the script. Nobody wanted it. Everybody said like, nobody wants to watch that shit. Like stuff that people had really said to me. And I was like, so I'm going online to tell this story. And it was earnest. Like I was, I was being real, but it was so helpful because then when we did the Kickstarter, we started getting all this press and it's a little different now because I feel like that was in the day of like Huffington Post and Jezebel and like, mm-hmm. you know, they were just posting like the trailer. Maybe it's still like this, but I feel like everything's now just like Instagram. But this yeah, was like- yeah. no one goes to websites anymore. No one goes to websites. Yeah. But this was like website, big website time. So every, and sure enough, every single article- was the narrative from the Kickstarter. Like I had just made the journalist's job so easy. Like I told them the story. So how can you make the press do as little work as possible? You know? So there we go. We got all this attention. Once again, I guess I am a stalker. I have IMDb Pro. So I just was like, my dream person to play my mom is Ileana Douglas. I'm just going to fucking email her the script. And she fucking said yes. Also, Eliana Douglas did have like a, a hit web series at the time. She did have a web right? series, like, so I think she felt like a kingship. She had this web series about IKEA. It was really funny. Um, I forget what it was called, but yeah, she just—I think she felt like a kinship with me, and like was just fucking awesome. Like she was like, "Oh, you should use a dolly in that scene, like Scorsese did." I'm like, because she like dated Scorsese forever, so I was like, "Oh, like she was just she's a very knowledge. She's a great actress, but she's also like." a film historian and just incredible, like she really speaks cinema. So it was really cool. We shot the pilot. We just had, we just had fun. And then, um, I sent it to Jill. how long was the pilot? Or wait, wait, how much money did you raise on Kickstarter? 
15 grand. And that was just to shoot the pilot? Uh, or, yeah. Or for the whole It was show. like a pilot presentation. But that's that's no money, you know? That's a lot of money, but that's no money. Like, no permits, no nothing. We had like a little bit of crafty. We shot in my apartment mostly, free locations. I don't even know where that 15K went. And Ileana Douglas was in that one, in the pilot presentation? Yeah. Yes, yes. So what I, I kind of made, and I'll be- was pretty I'll, stiff. <laughs> and I'll be real with you guys. Like, I- I made the mistake of doing what I did back then, which was just like, we're going to shoot this thing. And then when we sell it, you can be a producer and I'll bring you on and I'll have you, you know, I just over promised out of excitement, but also when you're working with no budget. And honestly, as a woman, I think people like, I feel like people always feel really close with me and like everything we're working on feels really emotional. So we get like, it's, we always feel like, oh, we're really doing something important. And that's all real and amazing. And I think you need that camaraderie, especially to be like, you have to get everybody that like fucking believes in your movie as much as you do. And that's how it was with the skinny, you know, everybody was super awesome, brought their A game, but I sent it to Jill and I was like, well, you host this on your website, wifey. At the time, she had this, um, like, it was, like, a YouTube channel or whatever. And she was like, oh, this is really good. Like, I'll EP this. Like, I didn't even think to ask her that. Like, that wasn't even, like, something I would even ever ask her. Um, But she was like, yeah, I'll EP this. And, you know, a producer of hers at at Wifey, Rebecca Odes, had a relationship with Refinery29, which is, like, this, like, fashion website. They had just gotten an influx. This is all, like, luck and timing, right? Like, they got an influx of money and they they sent them the pilot presentation and they were like, cool, we'll fund six episodes, six 20-minute episodes. So it all, it like was very slow and then it just all happened really fast. And so um, I kind of had to regroup and I was like, do I use parts of the pilot presentation? You know, do I, should I use parts of, the, oh, we just shot this whole thing or do I completely start over or like, does that serve as the pilot? And then like I had to completely rethink the story structure. And that's where having Jill as an EP was so amazing because they were like, this is a movie. Think about this as an indie movie and split it up, like have five different cliffhangers. You have to have an emotional cliffhanger at the end of every episode. So they really gave me like the framework. You know, I worked out of the transparent offices. I had the writer's assistant was one of my right, like the writer's assistant on transparent was one of my writers. Like it was it was a dream. So we kind of felt like we were like the baby web series operating under, you know, and stealing the kombucha from like Transparent. And are we allowed to ask you what budget Refinery29 gave you? Yeah, of course. Um, it, I think it was like around 200, maybe 250. For six 20-minute episodes. Yeah. So really like it just felt like an indie movie. It yeah. was an indie movie. Yeah. It was like a cheap, cheap feature or whatever. And I remember the head of Refinery, I was like sitting with my two writers and we were like re-breaking the whole thing. And like the head of refinery, Amy Emmerich. I mean, I saw her at Sundance. She's like hanging out with Hillary Clinton, right? Like hot shit runs refinery 29. She came, we were like in the writer's room, like just in the fucking lounge that we make shifted into like a writer's room. And she came in and she was just like, we were just laughing our asses off having so much fun. And she was just like, this is, this is never, it's never going to be better than this. Just remember yeah. that when you have all your fucking shows, like everything. Seems like that's the advice all the bosses seem to give, which in hindsight means you're not getting that promotion you're hoping for. Right, right. <laughs> no, I thought it was quite sweet and it's something that I always think about. And I, my goal, like as I hopefully get more and more successful is to still be having that fun. But that essence of like, 
that's the jam. Like just laughing with your friends and breaking story is the reward. Um, so yeah, we, and then I had to come into the position of, tell me if I'm doing too much detail. No, this Jesse, this no, is this perfect. Is this is the show. This is okay. perfect. Um, so I had to have, I had to have the hard decision of like, do I use the same editor? Do I use the same? And, and do I, do I recast it? Oh my mm-hmm. God. All right, these people right. that have worked for me for nothing. And um, it was really fucking hard, but I replaced everyone except for Ileana. So I recasted it and I replaced almost all the crew. So um, that is something that as I continue to work for, uh, as I continue to do side hustle projects that are passion projects, I've really made an effort to manage other people's expectations be honest, be transparent about it. Um, cause I get my, I got myself into situations where I, I didn't feel good about what I did and I've, I've made amends, you know, since then. But I also feel like as a woman, I, I've developed relationships with mostly DPs cause I love DPs, but they're fucking crazy where I've been like, there's been like certain expectations where like I've had people mm-hmm. that have worked with me be like, well, you were supposed to fucking carry me over the finish line. Like you need to be loyal to me. And I'm like, would you ever talk to a guy like that? Would you ever project your mommy shit, your mommy abandonment attachment shit? But I guess that's a different podcast. But anyway, the, the point, the learning thing was I made, I had to make the, the best decision for the skinny and I stand by it, you know, even though it was really hard. Um, so we went into production, we shot. Wait, so can I ask you real quick about this? Because it's, I mean, it, it, it's something that everyone deals with. I think, I mean, I'm sure, you know, your experience is different and I'm sure being a woman, you have your own perspective on it, but I think a lot of people make, you know, make a ton of short films, you know, and nobody cares about them. And then they make something and it somehow blows up in a way and they get a bigger opportunity with more money and they have to decide whether who they're bringing with them from the short film, you know, all these people that killed themselves for you or like the quote unquote better people, you know, um, is, uh, like, is that why you traded them out? Cause you wanted a DP with more experience and, but like in terms of the rest of the cast and stuff. Yeah. I wanted, a, I wanted a female DP. So I got a female DP. So I guess there was a gender, um, we were really trying to do female department heads, which we did. So department heads all bring their own, you know, I'm not going to, you know, bring them the right, second AC from the, right. you know what I mean? Like everyone has their people. And as far as crew, like my, my boyfriend that played the boyfriend in, uh, in the pilot presentation was lovely, but um, I had to be really honest. And I was like, I want somebody that's like, just that is a more convincing drug addict. And like, it's not the other, the other guy was so charming and so great, but I found somebody that like was a little more of an, had the asshole quality. And like, I just had, it, it really was just all creative. It's not that I recasted with more famous, more whatever. It was like, now that we have a little bit more room to breathe, I could really get honest about mm-hmm. what I really wanted. And it, listen, it happens all the time. Like they recasted, they recast people in all the time in pilots, like after it gets picked up and then they'll reshoot or whatever. My feeling about it is like, it all sucks. Like I'm sure if I got recast or got rewritten or whatever, I would feel the same way. Like it fucking sucks. But I also think if you're good, it's going to fucking happen. Like you will, you will book that big gig, you know? And it's a lot of like pairing. So like I'm a, I'm a greener director, I'll get paired with a more experienced DP. 
Right. They're going to have a super experienced director that maybe wants a greener DP so that they can have a little bit more control. Like, you know what I mean? Stuff stuff has a way of working out and DPs and all these people that I've since worked with, like their careers are flourishing because they're really fucking good at what they do. So I don't feel like there's one project that makes or breaks you. And I think there's a certain grace um, that we can have in that process of like who gets pulled up when and like just being like, yeah, when I have the opportunity to hire exactly who I want, like, you know, when I'm Shonda, like things will look different maybe, you know, I'm repeating myself, but that's the part that I had to own that like, it doesn't stop being a people pleaser. If people like your movie, like the script is enough. And that's the other thing too. I feel like people are always like more so than like, how do you sit down with the famous people? It's like, people are always like, how do you put a movie together? How do you actually get a a line producer? How do you even get a production designer? And it is a hundred percent every single time been the script. Mm-hmm. Every single time I've just been like, I don't have any fucking money and this sucks and I'm so sorry, but here's a script. And if it moves you at all, and that is how all of my crews have come together. And so that's what you should be focusing your energy on. Like what's the script that's fucking undeniable that people are going to want to show up at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday for? Well, can I ask you on that note of like, you know, deciding who gets what position and also that the writing is what's leading kind of all your projects. Like, has there ever been a question about whether you will direct and star in any of this stuff that you've written? Or what you're saying is like, is there a reality where your writing is something where people are excited about it, but you're, you, they wouldn't allow you to direct basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or even if you're saying it's like, I'm getting these deals off of the script. And if you wrote the script, and some studios like we want to make this movie, you know, focus films like we love this. We want to make it. We have $10 million, but you can't be the star of it. Like, you know, does that make a difference? Like, you know, we need a we need a certain person that is going to is known internationally. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I love writing stuff that I'm not in. And that's been my bread and butter for the past couple of years is just writing scripts that I'm not in. So, and I love directing things that I don't write. So I, I love that. There are like certain projects like the skinny and like, he's the one, my new thing where it just, to me, it's very personal and the writing, directing, acting trifecta just makes the most sense for it. Um, and those are the ones, the ones that I'm doing all three in are normally like the most low budget ones. Mm -hmm. So like the pilot that I wrote for CW, there's not even a question that I would be in that. Like, I don't want to be in that. I don't, you know, that's, it's not, you know, that's how I make my living. And it's just, I'm not a movie star, you know? So my stuff that's, that I'm in is more indie. It's more, it's not contingent on needing that kind of cast. Now having, having Luca for the short certainly helped, but. um, Right. Well, when you write a pilot for CW, the CW, is there any chance that you will direct it also? We didn't get that far, unfortunately, because they didn't order it. Um, But I, well, I had a really good agent before the Writers Guild craziness. But um, so I, you know, I had a, I kind of had a plan with my agent was, which was just like, here's how we're going to pitch you to direct it if it goes that far. And, but it, it didn't really. And I think when people are making deals and stuff, like especially writer directors, in my experience is like, 
get the contracts done. Like a lot of times it can stall out because you keep going back and forth and the writer's mm-hmm. like, but I have to direct it. And I always thought that too. But like when I, I sold, I ended up selling the skinny to Hulu. So I wrote it as a pilot for them and was like, I have to direct it. And I remember Jill was like, just get your fucking contract signed, get paid. And then when they order the pilot, you can have that conversation, right, right, you know, right. like just be where you are in the process. And they didn't even wind up ordering the pilot. And it was so it was like great to make the money and be able to do the job, you know. So is that that's kind of your main day job is writing TV right now? Yeah. So I I staffed last year. I've written I wrote like I wrote the skinny for for Hulu, like wrote the pilot for them. Then I adapted a book for the CW as a pilot. I did a series for ABC digital and then I staffed last year. What show did you staff on? This is, this is what I'm like on dates. I just, I read my IMDb. Um, wait, what show were you, were you on? Um, I was on the show called SCOM. Um, it's originally oh, a yeah, Nor- yeah. Norwegian show for Facebook. That's so funny. I always think of it as scam. Yeah. It's like, it's Norwegian. It's like SCOM. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. But you can say whatever you want. You stupid American. Yeah. Midsummer. Come on. <laughs> Was it the same showrunner that did the Swedish one that did the American one? Like, didn't she? So she came, she, come here, here? Julie, Julie Andam, she's fucking brilliant, dude. She is so brilliant. I don't, if, if you guys do anything during Corona, watch SCOM. It's on Daily Motion, all the original Norwegian. It's like four seasons. It's, the, it's fucking amazing. It's the best teen show I've ever seen. It's the best use of texting, integrating transmedia, mm-hmm. Instagram. Like she was the first person to do it. It It's fucking beautiful. It's really, really good. But yeah, so she was on the first season, uh, the first season of the American version. I worked on season two. So she was already back in Norway. I was never like, again, I think it was my ego. I was like, well, I... I write and direct stuff. Like, I'm not going to staff, but it's so fucking hard to staff. It's so competitive, especially now. Um, So I was like, oh, you know, like, whatever. Like, let me just, I I don't know. I don't know if I can sit in a room, whatever. And I got this job and it was the best fucking learning experience. I learned so much. I'm so grateful. There's absolutely no way in hell I could ever be a showrunner without staffing first. Um... I work, it was like me and the showrunner and one other writer, like three women wrote 10 episodes, got to be on set, lived in Austin. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience and really essential for like seeing the nuts and bolts of, of how TV is made. Cause it's different than web series. You know, Matt, I was always like, oh, and I do web series. It's totally fucking different. Like dealing with S and P and just, mm-hmm. just shit that we don't have to even think about. Yeah, you you wouldn't ever think about, right? So, but so while you're working on Scam, right? You've got he's the one as kind of in the background of your mind, you know, and just to kind of give everyone a little bit of context, it's uh, the short that you premiered at South by this year. Or sorry, pardon me, Sundance, Sundance. this year. So, uh the and the one that you're developing out into this feature, when did you decide to go from staffing on the show to hopping back into creating that short to get that all going or was it happening concurrently? Um, yeah. So I, I took like six months and, um, I had a show that didn't go. 
Viagra didn't go. And then this other show that I worked on didn't go. And I was like, what do I fucking want to do? I have a little bit of cash. What do I fucking want to do? And when you say didn't go, you mean you someone paid you for the pilot and they and it didn't, didn't get picked didn't up. It? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I want to finally write this feature. He's the one, which is this idea that was like kind of based on the short Meet My Rapist that I made like twenty in 2014 about running into my rapist at the farmer's market. But I was like, I want to tell it in a more grounded way. There's something about healing and forgiveness. And can you forgive the people that hurt you? And this was like, this was actually pre-Me Too. And so I spent like six months and just worked on the feature, drove myself fucking crazy. It like really reminds me of quarantine. Like, I don't know if you guys feel like that as writers, but it's like, it's basically when you're writing, it's like the same thing as quarantine. You're just like alone, trapped in your own head. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, yeah, except your kid is not uh, running around the hallways of your house the entire time. So basically, I wrote that and then spent like a year sending it out, pitching it. I went to this thing for Sundance called the Talent Forum that was in 2019. I basically did like speed dating with like producers and financiers and studios. We had great meetings. We love it. We love the script. Nothing. No traction. Not even like a glimmer of hope. And I was writing on SCOM during this. And then when SCOM ended in last May, um, I was still going out doing rewrites, pitching it. And then I think it was like August. And I was just like, this movie's never going to get made. Again, my manager was like, you know, we should probably move on to the next thing. And I just was like, let me just try to like nail the tone because I feel like it's a very, it's a very, I I don't want to give too much away, but it's a very, it's a dark comedy, but it deals with really intense stuff. And it's really hard, especially in the Me Too environment, everyone's very like sensitive. And um, it was like, it's hard, it's hard to like talk about tone. It's like talking about Mm -hmm. music or whatever, you know? So I was like, okay. Let me, can I just do this? I made some money staffing. Should I just spend, you know, a couple grand of my own money, shoot this thing? And I don't know if you guys feel like this with with projects, but it's like, there's some projects that just want to be made. It was like, once I made that decision, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to double down on myself. Um, you know, it was like, I found Luca, uh, Luca Jones. I was like, oh, I need a hot guy with a beard. My friend was like, what about Luca? I DM'd Luca. The same thing. Like, do you want to read the script? Here, I made the skinny. You can watch it. It's on, um, here's the New York Times article about it. Not, you know, just casual. Like, here, I've done shit, you know. Do you want to watch the script or do you want to read the script? And then got a badass producer, got the location, and we shot it in um, in Richard Card, my amazing DP. So got all the people I needed. And then we shot it October 20th, one day. We cut it in like a week. Like I sent the rough cut to Sundance as a Hail Mary. And then we got in. Yeah, that's, I mean, rock and roll. Jesse, that's incredible. Yeah, I think, I guess a couple interesting things, I think. But it was two years of rejection. It was two years of rejection. You know what I mean? It was so much rejection. That rejection is the interesting thing because... Like, I feel like what we're just kind of skimming by is that the skinny was in Sundance. It played at Sundance. So now you're like a Sundance filmmaker, writer, director, actress. And you also are a TV writer, like on a real TV show. And you still have to go self-finance your own short to 
you know, to move your career forward. As Because I think a lot of people assume that once they get into Sundance, that's it. They've made it and all the offers are coming to them and they have to stop spending their own money. A hundred percent. And I think... I think my ego, first of all, everyone's like, number one rule, don't spend your own money, you know? And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to like buy a car. Like this is the most important thing to me. This is like all, not all I care about, but this is fucking life. This is my fucking life. And this is how I want to spend it. I love it. And I want to tell the story. I at least want to try. So then there's me alone doing that. The great thing about filmmaking is like, then you have my DP Richard and he's like, fuck, I really want to fucking tell this story. And then you have Luca and he's like, this is like, yeah, this is important. Like, I really want to fucking tell this story. And then it's like, oh, this is so much bigger than me. This is like, this is, you know what I mean? It's not just me like hyping it. Like, it's not just me. It's, it's contagious. Like we're, we're having this energy and then we become this like organism for this movie. And then it's like, yeah, no, of course we have to make it. And I still don't know like if we're going to get financing for the series or whatever, but I'm a different person after making the movie. I'm so happy. I had so much fun making it. I loved the sound mix, the casting, like everything, you know? And so- And the Sundance screening was probably pretty fun too. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was- I mean, the sound mix was way more fun than Sundance. Let's I mean, don't get prob- me wrong. It is, though. I'm a nerd. The sound is. mix yeah, is the no, best. I do love a good, a good mix. Uh, you know, the thing, the other thing that struck me about this story, Jesse, is that I think that sometimes when you're trying to make something new or special or unique, sometimes it's really hard to explain. And your your vibe, your personality, you know, you're very effusive. You're, like, funny. You're fast-talking, you know. And so, like, pitching a story, like, certainly you talk to, talking to you, you can tell, like, oh, you're very funny immediately, right? Um, So, like, the comedy parts are never going to be questioned, but, like, there's a lot of, like, twists and turns to the short, right? And so, just trying to explain the nuance and the, the, the thing that makes it hard to explain, sometimes it's easier to just show someone, right? And so, like... I think that's also an indicator that maybe you're onto something, you know, when it's a little hard to explain and like you just have to to prove it to someone, to show them. I think that's maybe a a good north star for people, you know. You mean as an indicator that it's something that's fresh. I yes, guess. exactly. Even though because exactly. you could if somebody if you told someone the logline, they might say like, "Oh, that sounds like a little familiar." You know, but if you see the way Jesse made it, it's like very much yeah, you're like, oh, own that, thing. that's own undeniable. Thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I-, I it, it and it just feels like uh, I, if I would have waited, we had interest from like, you know, different people and it, I would still be waiting. That's what's so funny to think about, you know, very well-meaning, cool producers and financiers that were super interested and super wanted to support. Maybe, uh, maybe it's just my impatience. But in this case, I feel like my impatience is good because I literally would still be waiting for that money. Well, I have a random kind of technical question. So you're, I mean, all I've seen of yours is the the short and then I kind of watched a little bit of the skinny. And um, it like, it seems like everything is very naturalistic, like, like at least in the stuff that you're writing and acting and directing. And, but at the same time, you're telling us that like the script is really what is getting people excited about your work. So I'm curious when you are writing and directing and acting, how much of the dialogue is like verbatim from the script and how much is it you who 
basically have like the ultimate authority on set like come like finding the the dialogue and the banter with the other actors um i i really don't like improv like my scripts are pretty specific in terms of the actual dialogue um I just find that you have to be, I, I'm not that talented of an actor that I can improv towards, towards story. It's so fucking hard. Um, and I just never have any time on my sets. So the only thing that allows us to make our days is just everybody knows the beats. Everybody knows um, the changes and the shifts. And we really like stick to the script and we improv in terms of mood you know, um, and then as far as the, I really use action lines as a way to show my voice and like titillate, you know, jerk off the, the cinematographer, you know, like I get, I have fun with the action. I really use it to, sh to really try to nail the tone. And I think sometimes it can be like, okay. And then she puts her book down and walks across the room. It's like, no, like this is your opportunity to really tell the story visually and you just want as much in that document as possible. And like, I will come on set sometimes and like shit that like a, a detail or like a turn of phrase or something in the action gave the, the, the production designer an idea that like totally blows my mind. So like, let your crew friggin' blow your mind. And the script is just the simplest, you know, the most succinct way of doing that. Um, and then as far as can I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but any chance you could give us an example of like, a uh, action line that would tell the DP a lot of stuff or the, or inspire the production designer. Um, my, uh, like when I first made meet my rapist, this movie in 2014, it was like, it was like, uh, the rapist is always, and you can watch it on YouTube. It's called meet my rapist. And it's like the rapist leers and he creeps. And I don't remember the exact turn of phrase that I used, but my DP at the time, Jacob Gilbert, was like, oh, you should have him be in every shot. Like, we'll just stick him in the corner of every shot. And it, like, literally makes the entire movie. Yeah. Right. The, but you can always feel him. And maybe that was just his brilliance, and I'm taking credit for it, saying that it was in the action, inspired from the action. I don't actually know that. But it's shit like that where you're like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Could have never right, thought right. of that visually. How he got him in the sh It makes the entire movie. But you, you communicated this feeling, his uber presence, right? And then that's what it meant to your Yes, and, I, and exactly. And I, communed, I communicated to him what it was like to, like the after effects year two or three after trauma and really getting into those conversations. And so, yes, like I speak, you know, with he's the one, like Richard and I, um, it was like through the conversations with Richard, I was like, oh, this is a horror movie. So like mm -hmm. the last half of the movie is like, it's shot like a, a, a horror. It has elements of horror and thriller in it. And like, it affects how the steady cam moved and, you know, like making that, making those sweeping, you know, shots and the wind. And it, it, it really just like, I didn't even realize like when I wrote it, I didn't even realize it was a, it was a horror movie yet. So yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and then as far as it, like, and then as far as like being on set with the actors, um, it is such, it is really fucking hard to be in shit and direct it, but I try to like lean into the advantages of it. 
um, which are you get to totally be on the same team as your actor. Like you guys are both being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. super fucking vulnerable. And so it just allows this like really like come nice natural camaraderie. And like with, with somebody like Luca, especially like he's so fucking good. He's so natural. I can kind of direct him in, in, in scene. Like Mm -hmm. through your acting. He can match your you're so feeding yeah, him like, things it, that you'll I know you'll have get a, a reaction. That you'll exactly. Like. And like, I know yeah. I want to have a sweet take. So like, I'll just be fucking sweet to him or I'll be, I want him to have a little attitude. So I'll try to provoke him. I'll remember the, that story he told me at dinner and I'll, you know, when we hung out and then I'll maybe reference something from that. You know what I mean? Like in between takes or not, not manipulating, but. Um, well, just now just directing. Yeah, yeah. Just a different version. What's of the directing. difference? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, do you storyboard and shot lists, or how do you? Yeah, how do you, I mean, for- again, like it really because we never have any time. We, you know, I I storyboard. We we shot list everything. I do mood boards. We do. I mean, I I pretty I really over prepare, and I just. I think that's just my way, but it is also just like if you have a day to shoot seven pages, like fuck off. You have to over prepare, right? Um, right. And you're in at least. I'm in it, so I'm really not directing during the day. As far as visually, I really have to lean heavily on my DP, and it's like here's everything I want, but also if the sun's going down, and you know, do we have enough of that coverage so that we can move on? fuck you know what and i never ever ever watch playback unless unless it's like we don't have it or this shot isn't working like let me let me watch it and see what's not working but i have to have either like a scripty that i really trust or my editor's done it before or i have a non-writing producer um be on set or my manager like somebody that can really like somebody that i really really deeply trust that really knows the project because the people that are working on set, like they don't, they don't know actually the big picture of what you're trying to do. Like the AD is amazing, but she's been with you for like, or he's been with you for like a month, right? So they're like, oh yeah, it's a great performance, but it's like, but we're not even. This scene isn't even supposed to be funny, and it's not. That's not <laughs> their. That's not their. That's not on them. You know that that's something as a director you would be responsible for. But I try to be, but it's, sometimes it's hard to hold everything. So you have to like really lean on people. That's like the major, that's the major part of trying to wear so many hats. And you said you've directed stuff that you did not write. <laughs> no, that's not true. Oh, I would be open to it, but you wrote stuff that you didn't direct. You haven't done. I'm trying. Yeah, I was like, why did I? Well, I've I've shot like commercials and stuff, but I guess I kind of write those too. What kind of commercial stuff do you do? Um, I did like a PSA last year for voting for like. No, it was like I guess 2018 for midterm elections, and I've done music videos and stuff. You know, yeah, (laughs) gigging around, doing the thing. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. I wanted. Do you uh, do you know Joan Shekel? Do you Shekel? (laughs) Do you Shekel? Well, I noticed you have the same manager, and obviously she. You know, I think people know her because she supposedly worked with Jill Soloway on Transparent and things, and. Um, I, I'm only bringing her up because I think she might be interesting to our listeners because I know she does these filmmaking labs and I know a few people that have taken them uh, where you, where she basically does, it seems like a writing, performing, during, like kind of the idea of communicating to people 
communicating feelings through something, blocking and writing and, I don't know, emotion and tone. Um, and I was just curious if you've taken her lab and if, if you think it's, if you would recommend it, if it's something that our listeners should check out. Um, she's always somebody that I recommend to people that are like, I want to start working on my project and I don't know where to start or whatever. She's like always the first stop, like take a weekend class with Joan. She's definitely not for everybody. Like there's people, like people either love her or hate her. Um, I was recommended to her by Jill. I actually took my manager to her, one of her classes. He fell in love with her too. Now he manages her. <laughs> right. That's that's how I I saw her on the list of his clients. Um, yeah, I mean, she's. Um, yeah. I, I believe she's a genius, and I believe she gets to the heart of like emotional language, and you know, it's it's like everything. Like, take what you want and leave the rest. You know, like everyone everyone has to develop their own like how they work and their tools. And but she's to me, I, I don't know. I learned a lot from her workshop, so I always recommend people people shekel it out. She's intense. Yeah. Like she she does not sugarcoat shit. Like I remember the first day she was like, oh, you're funny. How's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> but I needed it. I needed it, you know, because I was really using. How, how is it working out for you, Jesse? You know, actually pretty well. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I'm yeah. glad. Good. No, I'll definitely check her out. I There's this, te you know, Judith Weston. She like wrote these books about directing actors. Um, I think literally a book called Directing Actors and uh, a Filmmaker's Intuition. And she was doing these classes and I've always like wanted to take one of her classes. And then I I never did. And the other day I finally was like, I'm just doing it. I'm going to sign up for a class. And then I saw that she's no longer doing classes. <laughs> she stopped after like 25 years. Oh, so yeah. She's, like, hey, I've done her classes class? too. She's awesome. Um, so... I, I had her consult like on my feature. She like kind of read the script and we talked about the characters and she was super helpful. But so yeah, maybe I'll check out. So if our listeners are interested in knowing what the hell we're talking about, check out Joan, J-O-A-N, Shekel, S-C-H-E-C-K-E-L.com. And she does these classes that um, seem interesting. I'm, I'll probably check it out. And also but, like you, I, did, I did not go to film school and um, I find like, the Jones, like doing that kind of shit is really, as somebody that didn't go to film school, like it is, because I know a lot of people that have taken her and were like, oh, we did, this is very acting school. You know, I never did that. So I found it super, super, just to like get in my body and like all these tools that she, she teaches you. Um, but yeah. Right. Yeah, I did not either. And that's, and that is like something that I feel like I'm uncomfortable with and need to be more comfortable with. And Matt, you've taken improv classes and stuff. Right? I have taken improv classes. I, I was just going to say, I feel like I love film school for a lot of reasons, but like you you genuinely don't learn that much. <laughs> so <laughs> like, go, I Matt? feel it's, it, it's, it's so, so charming it. to me when people are like, I didn't go to film school, so I didn't learn how to do X, Y, or Z. And I was like, you learn, literally you learn all of that stuff on the job. Like, no, like, like you just kind of watch movies and make friends in film school. Yeah, I always, I, I don't, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone has ever said to me, especially when I was first starting out, I kind of felt insecure about it. And I was like, I don't go to film school. Like when I was interviewing for jobs and nobody gave a shit, gave a shot. Like I studied abroad in um, Vietnam. That's what people fucking cared about. Like that people were like, oh, you yeah, went to school in Vietnam. Like 
that's so it's like you just actually need to be an interesting person because people want to hire people that they just want to hang out with so i i didn't i don't film school not going to film school was not a problem at all for me at all yeah yeah well uh well that's cool um i mean this all sounds very awesome i'm very impressed and i cannot wait to follow your career oh i guess what's is there anything like obviously you have your short that's going to come out soon being released by sundance is there anything else we should be on the lookout from you Oh, I'm doing a podcast actually that's it's corona related. <laughs> but it's gonna be funny. I, I I I it's not like official yet, so I but I will um yeah, just follow me. It's gonna come out very soon. A scripted podcast or an interview? It's like an interview podcast. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Is it what's your um what are your handles? So spell my name, Oren. Jesse J E S S I E Conweiler. K-A-H-N-W-E-I-L-E-R. Yep. Oh, that's, so it's that. That's Jessica. that's Instagram. On Weiler? Yeah, that's Instagram. Yeah. Okay. And that's the best place to follow you? Yeah, I'm all up on those stories. Are you down to endorse something for free? Oh, for free? yeah. Unpaid endorsements. So obviously we're all self-isolating, self-quarantining. So, uh, you know, I'm looking for TV to watch, movies to watch. You know, we're just trying to figure out ways to, to pass the time. And to, today my wife made these incredible sour cream and chive biscuits from Bon Appetit that are super simple. And it's just like chives and flour and sour cream, um, which you may or may not have laying around. But like on your next grocery run, it's super simple, it's super savory. Um I will share the recipe, but like it genuinely made my day much better. And I think uh, we could all use a little more fat and carbs in our lives in these self-isolated days. So I will share the recipe for uh, sour cream and chive biscuits on our website. Cool. That that, I think this good. is our first recipe we've ever had. Yeah. Pretty good dystopian food. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, what you got? Okay. So mine is also food. So I just discovered, bear with me, sardines. <laughs> Ooh, that's a perfect yeah. fallout food. That's great. Hear me out. I was disgusting. They're like those things in Caesar salad that you, you know, throw off your plate. But there's this brand <laughs> called Wild Planet, and they are not fishy at all. They are like hearty, oily, like the texture of like heaven they're so good they're so good for you i like i i just can't say enough about these sardines okay well something this is always dangerous and i've done this before and it's always been a a major failure but i'm gonna endorse something i haven't actually used yet but just got recommended today um and it seems cool so if you if you are quarantining yourself uh, and you have kids there's this website, it's called storylineonline.net, and it's just uh, celebrities reading kids' books, like Al Gore and Rami Malek and Sarah Silverman and Mark Duplass. That's really charming. Also, Mich- Rami Malek is a very funny person to have, like, like <laughs> yeah. reading children's yeah. stories. They also That's have Mark really Maron, hilarious. like, reading, you know, ser- like, uh, some dumb book. So, yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Anyhow. Well, Jesse, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show. Are you guys just going to Venmo me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, What's your Venmo? Is it cool, like, installments, you know, if that's okay with you? 
Wait, tell us your Venmo. People have mentioned their Venmo on the podcast before and gotten money from our listeners. So okay, so if you're a man, okay, okay if you're a man, just send me a dollar, Jesse, J E S S I E slash you know dash Conweiler, K A H N W E I L E R. I'm pretty sure it's Conweiler. Whatever you want, a dollar. But I mean, look, it might happen. Stranger things. Will you send them fifty cents back? <laughs> It's been so great, guys. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jesse. If you want to Gotta learn, get back to well, masturbating. Yeah, fair enough, Jesse. Well, if you want to learn about more of the things that we talked about, check out Jesse's shorts films and uh, the links to all the things that we talked about on the show. You can go to justshootapod.com. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. Me at O. Kaplan on Instagram. This episode was edited by Jonathan Luna. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye.